I have yet to meet a CEO who understood all the ins and outs of every single decision they made. At some point, they're being paid to take on the risk of making a decision with incomplete information. So I, look, I, I think it comes down to, at the end of the day, a business is an imperfect set of trade-offs. Yeah. Every business is. And, and again, it's just validated for me in every organization I've seen in. There's some sort of like, you know, we'd all really like to do X, but the context says I can't do X in the way that I want because I don't have enough people, enough time, enough ability to focus on that. I've got to be able to do some sort of compromised version of that. Going back to my consulting days when, you know, think about the early days of Agile. Thou shalt have a product owner. Thou shalt have a scrum master. That I learned fairly quickly was, well, what you need to know is who owns that responsibility and get less tied up into every product team needs to look the same. Mm -hmm. I think you've got to look at it that way from a career perspective, because if you want to be a senior leader in an organization, I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to do stuff that you've never done before. Welcome to the Tech Waka podcast, where we dive into the journeys of New Zealand's top tech leaders. Your host for today is Jakob, bringing you conversations with tech leaders and innovators from across Aotearoa. Join us as we uncover the experiences, challenges, and successes that shape our tech community. Hello everyone, today we have a truly special guest with us. Joining me is Colin Bowen, the Senior Vice President of Product at Octopus Deployed. Colin's journey in the tech world has been fascinating, and today he's here to share his insights, experiences, and maybe a few secrets of the trade. Welcome, Colin. How are you? Thanks, Erica. Fantastic. Uh, enjoying the sunny summer that we have for once here in, in Auckland, New Zealand. It's good to have you here, Colin. Maybe let's start with, with your role, you know, Senior Vice President of Product. What do you do every day? Like, how does it look like? It, it sounds very big and maybe even scary for some of some people. Yeah, yeah. No, look, it, it, I mean, in, in some ways it, it is for me as well. You know, I, I put my hands yeah. on one leg at a time. I think about the, the hundred plus octonauts that I support, make sure that they're, they're, you know, have everything they need in building great product here at Octopus and, you know, making sure that, you know, both the, their, their hard work and effort is recognized, but also they've got the context they need to make great choices every day. You know, it's, it's absolutely a part of that. And then working really closely with, with my counterparts in, in sales and marketing and finance and, and, you know, kind of just really trying to figure out how do we navigate this business to the next level of success. And if you think about your your different roles that we had in the past. I remember that, I don't know if you even remember that, but we both were at Orion Health at a similar time. I was a, a team lead. I think you were product development director in a different line of business. And you had product development director role, you have, you know, vice president and then head of product, different roles. And now this senior vice president, how, how has maybe your focus changed throughout the years and different roles? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, kind of wind it all back. I mean, I started as a lot of folks in technology do finding something really interesting to kind of pull you in. You know, in my case, it was a lot of kind of more the IT network kind of side of things, you know, and, you know, you start to hit edges and putting things together and you start to figure out, okay, well, surely there's a way to build this. And so you get into the software engineering side of things yeah. to try and plug those gaps with things that you can't find off the shelf and evolved more into, well, why am I doing this? And, and that kind of really lights up a little bit of the, 
why why am I doing this from the product management perspective, but then also how do we align a bunch of people to get something done? And that's the people management side of of things. And so, you know, kind of my career hasn't been a straight ladder. It's been an exploration and a bunch of things around this this domain of technology and mm-hmm. saying how do we how do we create great outcomes, put our time into building great products or great experiences that people love. And figuring out how to do that and, you know, kind of in the last half of my career, really focused on how do you do that in a way that builds also a great business and a great long-term outcome. And so, yeah, I haven't climbed a ladder. I've kind of collected a set of experiences across a different, a bunch of different companies in a bunch of different contexts in a bunch of different roles in terms of full-time consulting and a bunch of different titles. And it gives me this really rich toolbox of experiences to figure out how do we navigate the thing in front of us. Yeah. Any big lessons of, of things that you, you did very well that helped you in your career, things that maybe you, you failed with, but actually looking back, it was a good lesson. Anything to share? Yeah. I, I mean, a, a few things have been, I think, kind of beneficial to me. And obviously speaking from a, a position of privilege as white male from a, a you know, an English uh, first uh, culture, you know, I, I really tried to, you know, I really benefited, I should say, I should actually shouldn't say I started out even intentionally. Yeah. Um, but the, I, I benefited from being able to see different companies in different contexts, you know, kind of, I don't think I realized it as much in the first half of my career where I was doing a lot of consulting work and contracts, software engineering, you know, kind of small business networking, okay. but in the latter half of my career, I'm finding more and more I'm referencing back to, hang on, I've seen this before. And, you know, not that you can always copy exactly the play. But it, it, it becomes a way of orienting yourself and very quickly understanding a situation. And so I think I've really benefited from the fact that I haven't focused on, I must drive a career ladder. I must be a really great employee of this one company. And, and I must have a certain title that matches something by some period of time. And it's opened this door to building, you know, what I think is now a very, you know, kind of powerful toolbox of experiences and reference points that allow me to very quickly say, ah, okay, hang on. This is where I am. This is what's possible, but also these are the things, the constraints that are going to make it hard to do some things. Cause you know, sometimes as technologists, sometimes as product folks, we like, hang on, the customer really wants X, mm-hmm. but then, then you start to realize, hang on, we're a public company. We're not profitable yet. You know, I need to close this one deal. Like there's a bunch of these things that become constraints on you from doing quote unquote, the right thing. And, you know, I've come to appreciate actually having all of that ability to assess context and identify context is helping manage my own expectations Mm. and make better decisions because I'm not this like, yeah, why aren't they giving me the budget to do the thing? Why aren't we doing, you know, it's actually, well, hang on, well, well, why is that? I asked the why, yes. but then that helps you. Okay, hang on. Here's what we can do. Here's the pragmatic. You know, yeah, here's what's important right now for us for where we stand today. And and so I think that that whole experience base of working in different organizations of different types at different stages and so on has given me a really powerful tool in my toolbox. And so I think kind of career wise, that's been absolutely critical. Not intentional, but mm-hmm. kind of in hindsight, it's like. That is a real differentiator and I differentiate that against folks that have worked at a bank for 10 years or worked inside yeah. a particular industry for their whole career where if they had to change, 
boy, that would be scary. Like, mm. can you imagine 10 years you've worked inside a large corporate bank? Yeah. You've gone through a round of layoffs. You've got to find your next. And it's like, hang on. I, I only know how to work at a bank and there's only three or four of them. You know, like suddenly my, my options are really limited. Meanwhile, technology is this really rich domain of yeah. so many organizations and so many different sizes trying to do so many things. Like you're missing out on that if you don't let, allow yourself to go explore that. And, and, and look, you know, sometimes you can take advantage of those to learn. Like, you know, I, I was a consultant as well, working in the capital markets for rebuilding a derivatives trading mm -hmm. system. And it's all because the old one was necessarily bad. It's just somebody had some money. Let's go do this. And so it was a chance to redefine a bunch of stuff. And so, again, you got to try some things in a different context and learn, oh, well, why did that work? And why didn't that work? So, 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 yeah, I guess I go back to one of the most powerful things that I think has benefited me is just that you know, kind of collecting experiences in my career. That's, that's really what I look back at as it's not a ladder I've grown up. It's not, you know, my goal is not to go from SVP to CPO to CEO or whatever. It's to collect experiences, work with great people and hopefully do some work that's meaningful and, and valuable along the way. There was also one thing that, that you said about how things change. And, and I think that was also my realization, how some of the things, you know, we thought it was a, it was a good idea have a year ago, right now, it may not be a good idea anymore because context changes uh, you have different people, you have different clients, you have market changes. How do you deal with that in, in your role or are you think yourself all the time where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think first off it's, it's accepting that the world does change every, every year and kind of making that sort of deliberate cadence into reviewing where are we? There'll be some things that, that you want to, you know, kind of hold true. And like over the next couple of years, we want to head towards a certain general direction, but you know, there are, there are things that you're learning all the time. And so for example, at Octopus, since joining, we, we've kind of moved into a more deliberate annual and quarterly planning cadence for us. And it's not about precision. It's about being able to stop, reflect and orient yeah. um, to everything you've learned. And, and, you know, it's not to the point where if I don't have exactly, you know, a 5,000 word essay on the thing that I can't pass go, it's like, is this plan good enough? Does it tell us enough? Is it clear enough? Is really a lot of our, you know, kind of definitions of done, if you will. And it's important for me as a leader because, you know, I support a hundred people. I'm not going to be able to use my weeks talking to all hundred people. And so this is my tool to create focus and, and, and try and, you know, kind of provide the, the framework for, you know, these are the bounds we want to stay in. These are the areas also kind of, you know, equally important where we don't want to go, you know, at this time. And, and so that, that sort of planning and communication piece is really important. And I think if, if you've worked, if you're working in an organization where you have never heard from senior leaders and I've, I've seen these organizations. The VP or the CXO is somebody who lives in an ivory tower and you hear from them once a year and some big formal thing, but there's no kind of regular useful engagement from them. That's pretty scary. So I, I think you, you want to be hearing from kind of your leaders, two, three, four levels above you on a regular basis about where are we on the journey? Where are we headed to? Remind me again that that's the most important thing. So we try to do that on Octopus, annual quarterly planning. Annual planning is, is not a complete reinvention either. You know, if you look at our annual plan over the last three years, it's, it's, it's evolved as we've learned stuff, but it's not a 180, you know, there's no big movements there, but 
if market conditions and company conditions change, we would do it. And we'd also say that as well up front, you know, Hey, something has changed here. It's causing us to do this thing. But fortunately we've been in a position to stay the course. And sometimes not necessarily things change outside of the company, but inside the company, things change. You know, we realized something that we didn't know that we had these customers here who are more important than we initially expected. So we want to focus on them, even though half a year ago, we did not think about them at all and this changing how we approach things. Yep. Yeah. So I, look, I, I think it comes down to, at the end of the day, a business is an imperfect set of trade-offs. Yeah. Every business is. And, and again, it's just validated for me in every organization I've seen in. There's some sort of like, you know, we'd all really like to do X, but the context says I can't do X in the way that I want because I don't have enough people, enough time, enough ability to focus on that. I've got to be able to do some sort of compromised version of that. And, and yeah, so the minute you start to realize the environment around you and, and start to recognize some of those patterns. You can start to kind of manage your own expectations and then, you know, create impact uh, relative to what is possible. And look, I'm an optimist, so I, I don't get it right all the time. There's times where I'm very optimistic. We can conquer the top of that mountain inside three months. And the reality is it's probably more like nine to nine to 18. <laughs> and if you think going back to your career evolution, for some people who are looking into more senior roles, I think sometimes that can be scary in a way is, is letting go of some of the skills you already have, being more hands on, being able to do some of the, the work, you know, product manager or product owner or software engineer. And then when you kind of move into more leadership roles, you need to let go of some of these skills and some of the strengths that you have, and you need to develop new skills. How did you deal with that? Any, any advice for people? Yeah, look, I, I felt a little bit that last couple of weeks, I was trying to write some code and realized, <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's a few things that used to come a whole lot quicker to me. Yeah. Look, they, at some point you go from this sort of individual contributor, I'm known for being an expert in the thing to I'm, I'm now managing a system mm. and, you know, it could come by way of a, a move over into people management. Or also, you know, quite frankly, once you start to, to bridge those sorts of lead principle staff engineer, staff product manager, principal product manager type roles, your impact is on the system. It's not what you do, it's what you're able to influence across a system. And whether that's done through people management, through strategy, you know, kind of watching the delivery and influencing that way, at some point, you know, it's about the system. And, and that's where you get rewarded for the outsized impact of that. But also sometimes for taking on the, the, the decisions and risks associated with some of those decisions. Like I'm going to pretty like I have yet to meet a CEO who understood all the ins and outs of every single decision they made at some point they're being paid to take on the risk of making a decision with incomplete information. And, and so as you kind of step up, one of the, the decision, you know, one of the things you need to be comfortable with sometimes is the fact that you're going to be wrong and builds in that into the system. And sometimes you take the hit for being wrong. And, and that's part of the, the danger, <laughs> the dangers of being at that, at that level. And I'm sure there's lots of, you know, it's very common in sales where like you miss your quota, you're wrong, you're out. But in, in, in product and design and engineering, that can be a very scary thing, but it's, it's important because uh, again, back to a business as a set of imperfect decisions. 
there's things that you'll make at a leadership level where you've got to try and figure out what's the best decision with the information in front of you. And that, that reference point of, you know, how you've seen potentially similar things play out elsewhere. And I guess also maybe recognizing that we don't have the, all of this information and how can we test some of these ideas quickly, right? Is there a test, an experiment? Is there some quick research we could do, people we could talk to, to get a bit more information, get me a bit more grounding? And again, depending on the context, sometimes you actually need to have, make decision in the next half an hour, but often you do have some more time to do kind of take lean approach to, to some validation. You, you do, but not everything will get discovery. Oh, uh, yes. Some, right. Yes. You know, so sometimes you're operating a level of like, let's, for example, headcount planning. Yeah. You know, we, we have, you know, we can grow by 20% this year. Where are we going to place our chips? And look, I, I, I'm not going to have all the information. And so going back to your system, you know, the, the comment on systems, you know, one of the things we've tried to do at Octopus in particular is try and delegate as much as possible the shape of that role to the people who are most kind of closest to the problem. And so from my perspective, I'm looking at it as I'm spending X percentage of my budget in an area and it's up to my group leaders to say, okay, that's a designer, that's an engineer, that's a, a junior versus a senior. You know, I, I have zero, I, I look for them to guide me on a lot of those decisions because I'm not going to have the local context on how best to spend it. Likewise, I also give them the flexibility of saying, you know, there are some decisions you don't need to decide right now. Just put your best guess as a starting mm -hmm. point. If you change your mind, because we've learned something, then that's okay. You know, at the end of the day, it's separating the, do I need a complete plan and I need to stick to every aspect of it? Or is it important to keep to the financial aspects and be flexible on the execution as needed? Uh, yeah. I think it was, I think it was on your, on your LinkedIn, how you say that you partner with engineering design to develop more profound customer empathy and problem domain understanding. And I assume that you need to be able to influence engineering and design, right? And so yep. that although we talk about this product three us working together, any, any maybe advice from your product perspective, you know, if anyone from engineering and the design is listening to it, any advice to them, how they, they could approach talking to product people to influence. Look, I, I think one of the things we've been very deliberate since starting Octopus is we, we call it, we refer to our teams as product teams. There's yeah. no one product person, they're product designers, product engineers, product managers. Like ultimately we all jointly own the thing that's going out the door. We all have different responsibilities in that. We all wear kind of, uh, you know, different responsibilities and every team figures out what's that right balance for them. Like the, I've got teams where my product manager is definitely leading the research and the designers, they're facilitating, supporting it. I've got areas where the engineer lead is leading a bunch of the, the, you know, kind of quote unquote product kind of aspects, uh, product management aspects of it, because that's the makeup of that team. I think, you know, the, the, the one thing that going back to my consulting days, when, you know, think about the early days of agile, thou shalt have a product owner, thou shalt have a scrum master that I learned fairly quickly was, well, what you need to know is who's owns that responsibility and get less tied up into every product team needs to look the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more important to focus on, well, what's the mission of this team and do they have the right skills and tools and capacity to achieve that mission? And, you know, yet in some ways you have to 
also role model what good looks like. Like we found it really beneficial as we started to get some really, you know, kind of seasoned product managers and designers in the mix that suddenly it was like, oh, hang on. You know, engineers were like, actually, I want that. That, that actually looks really useful. So, you know, kind of showing versus telling or role modeling became important there as well. And then ultimately you're still leaving it up to the teams to figure out what's right for them, you know? So it's not every team must have a product manager and a designer. It's what does this team need to succeed and, and kind of really working with them uh, to do that. And that's part of owning that system. How is the system functioning? And that's probably tough when you're talking an engineering organization of thousands. But again, that's, that's where you kind of got to figure out like, what am I, you know, what do I need to hold on to as a senior leader versus delegate to somebody who's closer to the problem. And if you think about, you know, your, again, senior leader role, how does your collaboration with the design leader and the engineering leader, how does it look like? Is it the same as on a team level? Is it different? What sort of topics and what's maybe some challenges or tension? What tension do you need to hold? Yeah. Be able to lead one. So, so today, we, today we have a VP of engineering and then design largely rolls up into me and I don't have a VP of product. I'm still quasi wearing that hat. So just, I guess for a bit of context, but the way we've, we, we call it the R and D leadership team. We try, we've been trying to continually operate this as similar to a trio model. It's, it's, you know, we are collaborating together to get to the outcome. And I'm fortunate I've got a, a very humble and amazing VP of engineering and Mike Noonan, who, you know, complements a lot of my skills and fills a lot of my kind of gaps, as well as kind of just generally is a great person to sit there and chat about through like, how are we going to solve this? You know, he's, he's kind of got one of those. So we, we've got this very collaborative relationship and I see my job as really just to represent R and D on behalf of the R and D leadership team. It's not Colin is somehow smarter or more senior. It's actually the. It's more a case of, well, I'm, I'm the one that's going to go present to the board, tell them the whole story. Let's all work on that story together. And so we try to minimize some of that kind of unnecessary or unhelpful hierarchy in the mix and focus more on the, how can we work together and win together? And each of us, you know, you know I'll take that, you take that, you know, like we'll, we'll each take problem, you know, kind of off the table that we need to go and, and pursue together. So I think. Yeah, it's very different from in the past where I've seen product, for example, in engineering and design potentially even roll up into different parts of the organization. I think kind of, you know, we think of it as R and D the end game is, did we build a great product that customers love? And, and so, you know, we're all working together towards that. And then the functional leadership is about growing great product managers, designers, and engineers at the end of the day, but we all own the outcome together. And, you know, like forming a band, you know, somebody's yeah. the guitarist, somebody's the drummer, somebody's the vocalist, and the band wouldn't sound the same if any one of them was missing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved how you, how you said that, that you focus on, on, you know, what's the task at hand or what, what is the problem to solve? And then you almost decide how you're going to approach it based on that problem, because different problems may need different skills, different approaches, just like a band to create a Christmas song, you know, they may approach it differently versus they create a summer song, right? There's different, probably skills, different way to, to approach both. And I, I think you've got to look at it that way from a career perspective, because if you want to be a senior leader in an organization, I almost, I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to do stuff that you've never done before. You know, like I've gotten involved in pricing models and contract formation and 
you know, how do we set up a service level agreement, a bunch of these things and, and, you know, not just at Octopus, but also in, in, in past roles where like, I remember doing my very first kind of thing around SLAs, like a couple of roles back there, I've never done that before. Let's figure it out, you know? And, and so you enter with this humbleness and this curiosity of let's figure it out. And you bring that into your leadership style with your, you know, kind of peers and directs. And it's like, let's figure this out together, you know, and, and suddenly you'll start to realize, you know, kind of most of these organizations, most of these roles, it's all a team sport. So get really great at playing in a team, you know, kind of playing with, you know, kind of collaborating with those around you and yeah, you can, you can have, you know, a lot of impact quickly. Yeah. Nice. And when you think about beginning of the year and if you think about the future of, of either your role or the, the, the tech community in New Zealand and what do you, what are you most excited about? Anything that if you're getting credit for, or you think that that's a big hope for us or, or some sort of struggle coming our way, what are some of the things that are in your mind? I'm kind of hoping broadly as a, a tech community, we're probably, I'm hoping we're through most of the uh, impacts of the, you know, not, not just layoffs, but this whole zero interest rate, um, mm -hmm. thing where effectively capital was seen as free. Um, and, and so a lot of us can focus on, okay, now that we've had to refocus because I've been in a large organization that's gone through guts or a small organization that's disappeared and I've had to find a new role. I hope most folks kind of land in a place where whatever they're working on this year is now the thing, you know, it's the thing that will make money. It makes sense. It's it's going to create sustainable businesses and so that we can, you know, really just get back to the task at hand, you know, at, at Octopus, we're in growth mode. We'll do some more recruiting next year or sorry, this year, because it's now 24. Yeah. We'll do some more recruiting. We'll keep growing. We know where our priorities are. We've gone through our annual planning exercise. We're really excited about what's coming through in the year ahead. And it's again, back to focus, you know, mm. we were trying not to spread ourselves too thin, keep focus. So, so I hope that, you know, kind of broadly as a community, we can, we can all get back to focusing and doing some great work. It's one thing that I, I will try to do a bit more this year is to get more involved in New Zealand tech community, hence the podcast and, and a couple of other things I will be doing this year. And I know how active you are in a couple of Slack workspaces and meetups and groups here and there. Any advice for people like me who want to energize the community and make it uh, a bit more active, anything that we could be doing to inject a bit more energy and conversations into the community. Yeah, look, I, I think this is, this is a bit of one of those hard problems kind of, especially in particular past post COVID, I think we've lost this sort of mm. in-person energy because we do a lot of things remotely. We don't kind of just go for coffees with people that we might've just had a usual habit for. So we've got some new habits to form, you know, looking forward to 24, I think it's you don't need to know everybody, but get to know a few people really well. It can be incredibly rewarding and, and cathartic. You know, I look at most of the meetups that I go to, it's for me, it's group therapy. I get to hear about other people and their challenges and go, okay, I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, I look at the Slack communities and, and other sorts of kind of virtual forums that I'm on and I use them as like, Hey, I'm, I'm about to grapple with this problem. How have you solved this problem? Again, try not to feel lonely, but also learn from others' experiences there. So even though I've had these vast sets of experiences, I haven't experienced everything in the world. And so continually try and use that. And then, 
sharing interesting things. I think I've, I've almost never gone wrong sharing little bits of things that I find interesting because there's going to be a handful of folks out there that find it interesting. And, you know, at the end of the day, if, if somebody sees something and gets something from it, that's my reward. And yeah, so I, I just kind of, I think there's been no downsides to being connected to the community in some form or another. It's, it's helped me in recruiting. It's helped me in finding my own kind of, you know, what's next. And it's helped me in, in ways where you start to feel like kind of, geez, I've never done this before. Surely somebody has. It helps in that imposter syndrome type. How do I get started? So no real downside there. So I think kind of just the more you get involved, but you don't have to conquer the world in a day. Yeah. Well, there's a good, good encouragement and great piece of advice, Colin. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the insights you have shared with us today. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you and all the best for 2024. Awesome. Thank you, Jakob. Take care. Thank you.